Hello there, and welcome to Sabina's and Leo's World. Today's conversation started out with an innocuous email that I sent to Leo Locke, my friend, requesting that we explore that aspect of any good healer's practice that is challenging to speak about and analyze rationally, let alone measure, certify, or transmit. And yet, we all know how powerful a healer can be, not because of their technical expertise, but something else. What is this something else? In today's episode, we once again look at the Chinese medicine classics for insights. Our journey takes us in several different directions, all in order to avoid the danger of literally going crazy from over-intellectualizing and over-analyzing, which is an issue whether we practice translation or medicine or really any other art. Answers offered in the classics include the healers and or the patient's concentrated or unified spirit, shen, or their yi, intent, or zhi, will, all in the sense of attention in the clinical encounter. In addition, there is um, the healer's cultivated presence as an ethical and, in quotes, realized human being in the sense of the Taoist genren, whether in terms of the virtue power or charisma or presence, or in terms of wisdom and compassion as the result of having gained the quality of qing jing, purity and stillness, by means of Buddhist or Taoist meditative practices of emptying and stilling the mind. That's what we're discussing in today's episode of A Pebble in the Cosmic Pond, titled Cultivating the Ineffable. I am your host, Dr. Sabina Wilms, and I'm joined, as usual, by Leo Locke, resident purveyor of multiple perspectives. Before we get into the conversation, I'd like to remind you to sign up for my newsletter at happygoatproductions.com slash connect to stay in touch. Also, please rate, review, and share this podcast if you liked it, wherever you can. That would really help us out. Lastly, are you tired of waiting until the next new moon for the next episode to drop? Or do you want to join Leo and me for the second half of this conversation, which I titled Jiggling the Jing, where we look more deeply at the dangers and limitations of an overly analytical and intellectual approach, and then by contrast, at real mastery, both in, China, in ancient China and in contemporary practice. In that case, I invite you to join my Imperial Tutor Mentorship to listen to the exclusive follow-up Imperial Tutorial episode that drops every full moon in addition to all sorts of other benefits that you get from being a member, like weekly translations and live tea time talks. Find out more at happygoatproductions.com slash imperialtutor. And now have fun. Thank you. So, Sabina, you sent me an early email earlier and you said, I really want to talk about cultivation of the non-brainy 
non-intellectual part of medicine. So I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. Can you tell us more? <laughs> it's the unspeakable, Leo. <laughs> okay. It's it's it, uh, it's the part of the. I don't know. You're a clinician. I'm not a clinician. So you must have thought about it, or some passages, or some kind of conversation often reminds you of that, or sometimes reminds you of that. So I'm just curious as to under what circumstances do you start thinking about that. I guess it comes back to that concept of ida. The da, mm -hmm. what is the virtue, the power, the virtuosity of a physician? What makes a great, you know, back to the book that I translated, the healing virtue power. What makes a good doctor? And as part of writing the book, and I, I did some lectures at conferences where I, I talked about this, this topic from an ethical perspective and, and from an educational perspective as well. How do we teach medicine and how do we transmit? What is there to transmit? There, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here. One of the ways in which Chinese medicine doctors have talked about this historically has been on the one side, you have the technique, the methods, you have the, the tangible, the, 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 the aspect of medicine that you can put in writing, that you can teach, that you can test in licensing exams. And I love how in our podcast, we translate things into Chinese and we try Instead of just looking at them, even though we're using English to speak about Chinese medicine here, I think one of the things we're trying to do is to have a conversation about Chinese medicine that attempts to look at it from the Chinese, from the perspective of the actual classical texts instead of through these modern Western eyes. Hmm. So, Instead of talking about, I don't know what the Western, actually, what the, what would make a good doctor in biomedicine? It would be somebody like my dad or my, my niece who just graduated, who is, who is just starting out as a doctor in Germany. They've received a university education. They're up to date on the latest treatments. They know the latest, whatever, surgical methods or prescriptions, the diagnostic techniques, depending on the specialty they work in. That's fa, right? Mm, Method, mm. techniques, that's the pattern. That's like fa is the rules of a trade that you mm. learn sort of the paint-by-number approach that we mentioned in previous podcasts. I think with Brenda Hood, we talked about this. And then there's these other, this other aspect to being efficacious or, or, I mean, how do you even evaluate 
a doctor's efficaciousness. Does the patient get better? Is it the doctor's contribution or the is the patient was the patient on their way to get better anyway and the doctor just gave them a tiny little push at the very end? These are kind of my questions. So yeah. in in Chinese texts, um, Charlotte Firth did a book on cases that I actually edited. I believe it was in there that she discussed fa as opposed to xiao, like the, mm. the genius, the skill, mm -hmm. or the, the mm -hmm. knack of medicine. Mm. What and and you know the, these case studies of the old the Lao Zhongyi the the old doctors there was there was something besides just straightforward pattern diagnosis um, that is is taught in textbooks whether it's Western textbooks or modern Chinese textbooks there's something in these personal cases that shows the the genius of a particular doctor hmm yeah i see i think i know what you're talking about that the ability of the the doctor or the clinician to look past the most sort of the mundane presentations and saw a deeper pattern right i saw a, a way through the resolution of the problem okay so you mentioned pattern Mm -hmm. What Chinese word are you thinking? So the ordinary things, the ordinary kind of the first layer thing would be zheng, right? Right. It would be zheng. Pattern, is pattern, pattern differentiation, being zheng. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The symptoms, you know, whether it's the mai, the pulse, or it's the tongue, or the, the other symptoms, self-reported or observable symptoms, right? Uh -huh. So that would be the first layer of data that the, the doctor look at. And then the next level would be the conventional way of linking these patterns together to form a diagnosis. And that's influenced by the training of the doctor, which what school they came from. Are they Shanghai school people? Are they Wenbing people? Are they, you know, channel-based people. So they will look at the same set of symptoms and come up with different type of diagnosis. Tell me. Yeah, there is really no way you can separate the fa from the other because even the way you just described it. Uh-huh. So there is a as a there is a algorithm, so to speak, to arrive at the final diagnosis, right? The diagnosis is only the first uh, step because once you have the diagnosis, you have to deliver or attempt to deliver your treatment, whether it's through herbs, diet, dietary changes, uh, acupuncture, moxibustion, tuina, whatnot, right? And then, then there's the feedback from the patient as to how well the treatment goes. Yeah. So that is included in the fa as well, right? So if you want to really think about it. But you're already going beyond fa. Don't yeah. You? So, in every so the, aspect that you mentioned. 
Yeah, so so I want to stop there because the the linguistic tendency or linguistic uh, preference to lump that all under fa, like you said, is not. I don't know where which period it came from. It definitely is not from the Han Dynasty. They don't speak it like that in the Neijing. Because example. medicine, the way we think of medicine, didn't exist. Mm, interesting. Tell me medicine more. Medicine as a profession, ah, as something that is taught and transmitted and tested. I mean, it's not until the Song Dynasty that you have the mm. bronze figure and that you have in the imperial court that you have teachers and textbooks and specializations, a curriculum. Mm-hmm. A standard curriculum. And that you have a definition for these are the standard locations. This is the location for this point. And mm-hmm. if you stick the point in the wrong place, you're wrong. You failed mm-hmm. your test. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so interesting to kind of consider that trend with what was happening at that time. Right there is the the bureau of to to rectify all the medical books. There is the bureau to standardize the herbal prescriptions into the powders. The Taiping Huiming He Ji Jufang, right? The yeah, the the one that the pharmacies they are standardized. You know all the manufacturing and delivering of the uh, herbal formulas were all standardized. So Song Dynasty definitely had a big uh, trend going on there, yeah. Which is unlike the previous dynasties that didn't have this wholesale, all-encompassing standardization, which is very unique to the Song Dynasty. Yeah, I think I think we tend to think about pre-Song medicine. We look at it through the lens of our contemporary experience of medicine as a profession when Mm. it didn't have that. There was no Chinese medicine and Western medicine. There was no, there was nobody arguing or was there. I'm Ah. practicing the right medicine. You are practicing something that's. I mean, they're unorthodox. <laughs> it, it's, I understand what you're saying. It's less of that. It's really there, because it hasn't been established yet. Like, who is the authority? Authority. Okay, here yeah. we go. Authority is a is a is a key. How do you establish authority? Yeah, Expertise. Uh, by- well, one part of it is by myth making, right? You tell stories, like for example, <laughs> they would say, they would say, uh, "Oh, Zhang Zhongjing wasn't the Yi Sheng, wasn't the sage of medicine before a certain period of time." Was it the Song Dynasty as well that he became the Yi Sheng? Before that, right now, everybody we looking back, we always say, yeah. "Oh, Zhang Zhongjing is the Yi Sheng, is the sage of medicine," right? Yeah. That's what we say today as uh, yeah. people who are schooled in Chinese medicine. But you ha- if we were to go back in time and further and further back in time, we'll hit a point where that idea was first 
manufactured, that idea was first yeah. proposed, right? And then if you yeah. go beyond that, there was no such I notion of him being the sage of medicine. Well, but you got the Yellow Emperor. Yeah, Zhang Zhongjing wasn't the Yisheng. Or Shenlong. I think. Do you know who? I can't remember. I think, was it not Song Dynasty that he became regarded or written yeah, down as the Yisheng? Yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a point yeah. before. Yeah, that would make because sense. Because yeah. remember, Zhang Zhongjing wasn't even recognized because his books were right. all kept secret, secretive. See, that's the other thing. Yeah. That medicine, that that how was medicine transmitted? And part of what gave you expertise, what made you, how did somebody get to call themselves a healer? It could be the transmission of texts and a blood oath. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, or it could be family transmission, which I think was probably the, the, the standard the, the much more common model was just my my parents were my father was a doctor so I'm going to be a doctor and I got these formulas ancient ancient Chinese secret right a family recipe and you just know in your village that this is the family this is where you go to yeah when you have um like problems in childbirth or something because mm -hmm. they helped auntie so and so yes. That would be the very earliest model because then things get different, more complicated, and become more modern-day-like when you have communication systems. As China uh -huh. became more and more connected and the, um, the transmission of information became faster and easier, yeah. then, then it would be more akin to our modern society of how you establish authority is by your branding and your reputation. And back in the days, your sphere of influence is small because it's the village, it's the town. Yeah. But now if you have a, a, a very efficient and, and efficient and powerful communication system and transportation system, then words get out. Do you understand what I mean? It's like yes. when it gets easier to travel, easier and yep. easier, to faster yep. and faster between townships and cities, then people would come to you if you're famous, they heard about you, and it's not that difficult to travel to see you. You see, that's how I that's how I so, envision it. So do you think the whole conversation about mastery and mm -hmm. fa versus whatever the other thing is another another way people talk about it, it would be duh. The other side could be this virtue power, this this potency, or it could be the the e or the shun, right? How mm. do you this, this, I think this in the Neijing's, I think in the Neijing's time, it would be more like Shen and Yi. Yeah, if they speak about yeah. because every every generation and every dynasty and era speak of the same ideas with different words. Because you have to remember Han Dynasty, especially Western Han or earlier Han, we haven't seen Buddhism yet. Buddhist ideas have not come in yet. 
right? Oh. If we're talking about oh. Ming Dynasty, I'll tell you what I the and, word I, and the whole Buddhist idea about schools and and different levels of truth. And train. For example, the immediate oh. word that comes to me when you're talking about these uh, indescribable or ability to penetrate mm-hmm. something and come up with some ingenious ideas, there's a very simple and common word in Chinese called "wu," like like Wu-xing. waking up, like realization, yeah, epiphany, epiphany. Yeah, epiphany. Oh, that's a great word. Yes, yeah, and the ability to reach these. These in very insightful and uh, unique conclusion or capture the essence of a particular pattern that would would be u, but this and that would be Buddhist, very Buddhist, like the awaken. Yeah, okay. Because so how about in, because in the Neijing they don't speak like that. They don't they use don't. u. They use hui. And I was just wondering, how about the character Tong? Which Tong? To penetrate through. Oh, oh, Tong, Tong, yeah, to yeah, get exactly. all the way through to the end. To whether it is whether you're making the blood flow through, or you're mm. making the qi flow through, or maybe you're making the shen. You're communicating the yeah. shen of the practitioner with the. Yeah, tong would be also like a tong shenming. Uh, yeah, exactly. That would be how the Han people or Qin prior speak of that idea. Yeah, tong shenming would be yeah because you you are fortunate because you stay a lot in the Han Empire uh, time zone and that world, so you're not easily uh, contaminated by later ideas and words. You're still very Han Empire. <laughs> Am I? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why you said Tong Shenming because Tong Shenming is a very archaic way of speaking of it. It's equivalent to Wu, but yes. But when you said it, I can I can identify that. Yeah, that's the how people from the BCE will speak of it like that. Yeah, that's yeah. a language from that era. Right, so you can okay. See, so, so, but I wonder, yeah. I wonder if this, and maybe it's just the way we like. We don't really know what Tong Shenming, what that means. If we translate it into English, we destroy it because then we are looking at it through the lens. Like I am so, I've been thinking so much about translation because I'm really trying to. Make sense of why I'm teaching classical Chinese and what is the benefit of this to a busy practitioner. Mm-hmm. So there's a certain level where I believe anytime you translate something into English, you're going to lose. Some, yes. You're going to lose a piece. So what is Tong Shenming? What does that mean? And because what I'm, what I'm want, what I want this, the, the whole beginning of this conversation was really about how can we, and this goes for me because I'm so busy right now, and here we are having a podcast, which is a conversation that is based on language, and I spend my day writing. 
And there's an aspect of healing presence mm-hmm. that is not at all about anything verbal or like epiphany yes. is still a is it a, is it still it's a little bit or even tongue penetrating yeshenming is it it can be interpreted still in an intellectual way whereas what i'm kind of wanting to get at is is just looking at you leo the way you and and i know we're doing a podcast just so not, nobody else can see you but you have this wonderful healing presence where oh, thank you without any without any word that it's just it's just you the way you sit there and i think we all know that in you know when you see an old lady when i get to be aunt sabina with a little kid and 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 there's a little kid having a meltdown or or a dog that's freaking out or something and and that you know that nonverbal aspect mm mm-hmm. yeah and the actu- actually the the naging actually speak of it in many places right it's all is usually a surrounding when the person is about to uh the practitioner is about, about to insert the needle or when the practitioner is with the patient and what kind of states does uh do they try to lead the patients into so they would use those words say more yes yeah like for example they would say oh uh, you have to close the windows and sh- yes. you know, close the door shut the windows right and then um don't think about other things and just let your attention be with the patient or the other way around you try to attract the patient's scattered attention into something more collected and not let them wander so you you kind of and it's never quite clear to me in those passages a lot mm-hmm. of times are they talking about the practitioner's shen or the patient's and are they talking about spirit or are they talking is it when the shen san what does mm. it mean are there is it the spirits the plural that are being uh, scattered all over I would say the that hun and the hun and poor and the attention basically where the the person regardless of whether it's the practitioner or the uh the patient where it says shen bu you yu or ying yu zhong wu your your attention or your thinking is not tied to all these the plethora of things that are you know going through your lives so you do not allow your shen to be tied to those outside things right it's very similar to this later buddhist ideas of uh shamatha of calming down the awareness calming Except down the thinking in buddhism mind. correct me if i'm wrong mm-hmm. what you're talking about is a single person meditating whereas in medicine there's still the question in, in the way i what, read these passages it's it's talking about the physician 
gathering their their intention, focusing their intention, yes, yes, their yes. e and their as they in and they put it in the tip of the needle so that when they insert that needle, mm-hmm. it it's the it's the practitioner. But you have two people. There are other passages that are ambiguous, and there are other passages which are about the patient. So it's both. It's yeah. The patient is. There are passages for the patients. There are passages for the practitioners, and there are passages of, that are ambiguous. It's almost like both are meditating in the same place. Because I'm using my ability to collect my shen and my attention to calm you down. Because you're in my presence. I'm not talking about oh yeah. the relationship. The money, the cars, the the failed marriage, the exams, yeah. the, you know, because the practitioner is right there. It's like, oh yeah, let's not talk about that for this moment. Let all of that leave. You know, I usually tell my patients, you know, leave that behind. Once you enter this space, you leave everything else behind, outside the door for the moment. So there are ways you can prompt and. Invite the patient to enter that space of quietitude. Yeah, yeah. Huh. I I guess I've always read them more, and I don't recall the 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 exact passages, but I've always taken it more to apply to the practitioner. Yes, the practitioner, of course, because all this is written for the practitioners. But there's the passages where you they would say, yeah. "Oh, now you want to attract the patient's attention, the shen of the patient. How do you collect it and gather it a, in?" To there's yeah, even a passage yeah, that says, "For yeah. some people, you have to show them the needles and scare them with the needles. It's like, yeah. look at how big this needle is, and I'm going to insert." The oh, needle. don't talk to me about that. Like, right? I'm terrified of needles. <laughs> so there are pass there there's mm-hmm, a passage mm-hmm, in there mm-hmm. that talks about a particular needling prep technique that you actually have to show the patient the needle and then subdue the patient's shun to it so that the patient's shun is immediately attracted to the needles. And yep. not every anything else. So that is okay. one skillful uh-huh. means that. You, so the instruction is always written in the voice of for the practitioner. Yes. But it doesn't mean yes. that everything that happens of the instruction is for the practice practitioners only. Yeah, it is also teaching yeah. the practitioner how to interact with the patients and what kind of tricks sometimes. To use to attract the attention of a patient that could not kept himself uh, collected or herself collected to the present moment. You know, we're using some new, you know, Buddhist ideas. A, nah? Our local acupuncturist here on Whidbey Island, he's awesome, and he he has a magical um, rock, and he has it attached to copper wires or something. But he hands you this magical rock, and he makes a really big deal out of this rock mm-hmm. that you get to hold. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that reminds yeah. me. I would say that the, is the, in the same spirit. Yeah, of what yeah. the Neijing talked about, because 
is the problem the clinical challenge is always the same regardless of whether it's two thousand years ago yeah or yeah. right oh let yeah. me oh okay let me tell you about this this is this is really good <laughs> now I remember <laughs> now I remember once upon a time I had a patient who was very distraught. She came in with like a deviated mouth, right? Bell's palsy, usually mm-hmm. it's Bell's palsy. And you know, you know, one face, one side of the face is really deviated. Okay. And she was very stressed about her business going under and everything. So I said, okay, based on my experience, we'll need three to five treatments for the correction to, you know, at least 50% better, right? As my mm-hmm. average. And then we talk, and he, she said, oh, I said, you know, do you have any spirituality? She said, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I haven't been praying for a long time. I haven't talked to God for a long time. I said, oh, no problem. You know, we, we accept all religions here. I want you to be comfortable. And then just talk to your highest authority. I'll put the needles in, and you go pray. This is the time for you to pray. Right, so I put the needles in as my normal protocol, and I left her to do her praying. And then about twenty minutes later, I came back in. Her face was already fifty percent better. Mm. Right, so we don't have to go really, really far with that. I would explain mm. it this way: when her chi and her shen. And her yi was all tied up with the difficulties of her life. There's not much left to circulate in the body and heal the body. But the prayer start to collect and calm down, but collect actually unify the flow That's of a chi. The e. There was one passage that yes. you sent me, mm-hmm. which it was about the 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 lingshu nine, the mm-hmm. the. The concentrate the e the intention and e shen make yeah. the shen one one. So that this is one. So this is universal. This is not just Chinese because that the the very foundation of progress in Buddhist meditation is also the one, the unification, the congealing of the mind and unified. Around one theme, so that the mind calms down. So in Bali, it's called ekagata, but usually translated as one-pointed concentration, which is incorrect. There is no point. <laughs> There's no concentration. <laughs> that is the merge and the absorption into this unified feeling, the unification of the mind space. It becomes one. It's not scattered. It's not splattered. It's not cracked. It's not divided. It's one. So that pack, that passage that you sent me earlier, it goes on. Jing qi bu fen. Mm-hmm. The essence and the qi do not separate. Let me take a look at that. Yeah. So you concentrate the e, the intention, or that heart ah, yeah. sounding mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. my funky translation. If I want to be a little free with that, the e, the intent, 
you concentrate the intent and you make the shen oh, unified the yi. or yeah, one. Yi. Yeah. You and make then the next one, one yeah. is the, and I read it as like the previous one is, is, is you close the shutter and then the doors and then the hun and pu are not, they don't scatter. Scatter. Yeah. And then you concentrate the intent and you make the shen one or you unify the shen. And then the qing and the qi are not separated anymore. So what does that mean? The qing uh. <laughs> and qi, bu fen. I was mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm going to ask Leo about that one. So I'm no expert on that. But I think Jing is referring to the more material side of this uh, oh. continuum. So <laughs> because it, if you look at a lot of the cultivation text that is native to ch China, like Han and Qin and Warring States, there's always this phrase that says, uh, don't shake or don't disturb your Jing. Yao, they will use yeah, the word. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't yao your jing. So there is this agitation when your mind is uh, being attracted or seduced by these outside things. There's a attraction and there's an agitation, and this agi agitation has. So it's shaking, it's or is shaking. it the dazzling? Yao. Oh, like the there's, there's a, happens in the, the, the mind, but yeah. there's the shaking of the jing. Yeah. There's yeah. The, there's the activation yeah. and the agitation of the essence, the materials part of the physical body. So on that spectrum, qi is on one spectrum and jing is on one spectrum. So that's how the ancient Chinese body view is. is and then there's, of course, the, the state of... Qing Jing. Exactly. The clarity, purity, and stillness, yes. like the water that is so clear that the impurities settle mm -hmm. to the ground. That's the quality side of things, is the quality of that awareness. And then Jing and Qi is a, a two ends of a continuum that the, the ancient Chinese did not clearly differentiate because Jing <sighs> is the more material side and qi is the more immaterial side of it but it's connected as one is you is is you is sabina is leo but it can agitate at different levels depending on what's going on in the mind body there's no such thing as mind body <laughs> you know it's just one continuum but they do differentiate the yes. denser part of things and the uh, the more ethereal part of things. <laughs> See, and it's so tricky to even talk about it because we're using English. Yeah. And English has the Cartesian split by definition. Well, we Chinese, are using the Chinese English modern too. language. Chinese does too, but it does not do the clean cut. Chinese do talk about polarity. Yes. But it would say... Is the yin end, the yang end, the hot yeah. end, the cold end, but yeah. there's never a severance yeah. in between. It's one continuum. Yeah. That can, but is ident that can be detected and identifiable in terms of density. Right? We we have a passage that said 
that says ju uh, when the chi is gathering and then ju right the word is ju gathering then it yeah. becomes denser and denser and denser and then it becomes more like a chi like a thing in this world but when this thing becomes less and less dense and more and more ephemeralized it becomes more air like and it, it starts to flow and you know like gaseous state versus liquid state versus Uh, what do you call? Yeah, like somehow the I can wrap my head around chi in that way, but mm -hmm. the jing is always jing I, is the oh. So if it yeah. let's talk about water, right? If yeah. water uh, is liquid, yeah, chi would be the the vapor. Yeah, essence will be the the cube, ice cube. Interesting. I've never thought of Jing yeah. that way. Jing is really because it's a condensed and we talked about that many years yeah. ago. Remember yeah. when you were translating Shen Nong Ben Chao Jing? I did a literature search for you on the Jing. Yeah, yeah. Right? Jing yeah. is connected to crystals. Yeah, Jing is connected to starlight. Right. Everything in Chinese culture, the more condensed, the more shine. We say yeah. the best of the best is always yeah. condensed. And compacted, distilled. and compacted, distilled, not, and not compacted. Distilled. Yeah, it's, it's a, distilled it's and compacted, crystallized. Crystallized, yes. Crystallized. It's like the diamond. Yeah. So Jing, the essentialized. The, the no, three, there, there's no good word no, for it. In crystallized it. is a very good word in this context because uh, they are pronounced the same. The the crystal Jing and yeah. the essence yeah. Jing are pronounced the same. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think they were interchangeable because there's the idea of the jing of the body being the most crystallized, rarefied. Uh, rarefied is a good word. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds good. <laughs> but you but know, it, it it brings yeah. it brings that association with jing of the of what is so precious. Crystallized essence, like the diamond, of your of, yeah. your, of your of your life, yeah. is the capital yeah. of your life. So that's what okay. Jing to me means. And and all the physicians that follow after more or less follow this understanding. Okay, so Jing and Qi, bufen. Jing Qi bufen. That means means they, not they're, differentiated. They're, they're you're not separating. Yeah. They're in one. They're coming together into this more. They're more like each other. They become more liquid. The chi is become more, from gas to liquid, and the essence is more fluid. The they're two extremes to, come together. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. This is so funny. We're doing this podcast, and we're both gesturing in the same <laughs> way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so that's why okay. the e come from because one, then the unification comes. That's that state of. But then the text goes on. Mm -hmm. So do not listen to other people's voices, Ransheng. Yeah. Or other or or human voices. E thereby show cheating. Yes. Thereby draw inward, gather inward. The jing. Yes. The jing. Because. So, Why is so the 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 chi? I mean, you could say it's just because it's all four character phrases, mm -hmm. but is it is the? Are you talking? Is this text talking about 
This is such a cool passage. Thank you for 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 bringing this to my attention. No problem. Earlier. This is so cool. And then this 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 Jianshan Wang Lai to to divine the the Shen's coming and going, like ah, oh, this is just so cool. Um. So is it gathering in? It's the first Jing and Qi, the the practitioners. Jing and Qi, and the second one is there. This this Qi, this personal pronoun, because you're now talking about the patience, Jing. Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay. Because it's one and the same in that sense. Once I have the cultivation, see, you can read it both ways,、yeah. right? This whole passage,、yeah. you can read it for the practitioner. Like definitely, it should happen to the practitioner, but it should also happen for the patient. Because in that that point, the patient and the practitioner are just standing on two ends of the continuum, and they should come into one as well. This is so cool, right? I think that's how、uh, I'm also learning from this process of this multi-dimensional reading of the passage.、Yes. Yeah, there is the only way we're reading it linearly and one-dimensionally is because of the habit of the book. Of the writing system and the writing medium that we have to yeah, always yeah, come to yeah, one yeah. line, but it's not one line. is is one line with diff when you unfold it is multi dimensional, yeah, yeah. and, and that's the difference between creating a translation or teaching this chapter、yes. to students and us discussing it, where we go back and forth. Yes, and by the way, I think. What we're doing is more akin to what happened in the transmission in the past. I would think so. Yeah. Right. They were not、yeah. concerned about translation. They would say, "Master, what does this mean?" Yeah. And then and, there will be a conversation. And not just one master and the disciples, but also, not that we're masters, but two disciples sitting with over a cup of tea. And exactly. Discussing、yeah. it with each other and asking、mm-hmm. each other and exploring—could it mean this? Could it mean that?、Exactly. Because then it, the text goes on and says, "Invariably, e you make one, you unify, and then again there's the chi, the patience, presumably,、mm-hmm. or your own, or this shen. The the chi can also just be that emphatic. This—that's the other possibility, right? And then." To make the zhi being the the will located on the needle, positioned、ah. on the needle,、mm-hmm. so that makes me think that that makes me go back to my original reading of having it all be just about the practitioner. Oh, the zhi of the patient can also be. Oh, oh be my God! You're right.、Kitchen. Yeah,、oh. because like, I'm about to insert the needle. And your attention is on me inserting a needle into wow. you. Wow, you're absolutely right. It's both at the same time. My zhi is on the needle in view of the patient. Your attention is also on my impending needling of、yes. you, your physical body. It's one. Oh wow! Thank you for this, Leo. Right, and zhi. Yeah, and we have to be careful、yeah. because zhi has multiple meanings.、Oh. In. Nei the Nei Jing, and only 
in the specific association with the kidney, can we yeah. say it is the will? Yeah. A- 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 Other places, it can mean emotion. It can be a general category of emotion. Remember, in the passage you translated, right? The chapter that is, each organ has an uh, a manifestation of an emotion. Yeah, and the phrase is 在智为 something. In terms of emotion, the gun, the liver, yes, emotion, yes, yes, anger. exactly, yes. And the word they use as that category of emotion is 智 Yes. So that's why it cannot be just will in that context. It has no. to be a category of emotions is 智 Zhi also I, means. I think to me, I've just gotten so used to using Wiseman's terminology that I use will with the capital W,、mm-hmm. and I don't even think about it anymore in the English sense of yeah the will. But it can I, be very confusing、yeah. and misleading yeah, for listeners、absolutely. who don't、so、know about that big W. The best way to do it once again is just keep it in pinyin. Yeah, in context. In context, we have to remind. But then you you end up not saying anything. Then it's like a cop out. Yeah, so I would translate it as emotion in those contexts. In the here? in terms of emotion, or would you say attention? Here is attention. No, here is your attention. Here is your attention. In yeah, as a as an underlying kind of common common. Most common denominator is how the mind and the heart is inclined. So if it inclines towards like anger, then it becomes nu. If it inclines towards this, and it becomes that. But if it only inclines towards the needle and does not have those strong、mm. emotion. You see what I mean? So,、mm-hmm. the most common denominator、mm-hmm. is how the heart and the mind is inclined. There's a direction, and there is the directionality a- of the. And I like to just、yeah. say heart, and、mm-hmm. just assume that everybody in Chinese medicine knows that the heart includes the mind. Yeah. So it is how But, the heart yeah, is inclined. Heart. That's what zhi. Then、like、now you understand that. Then that's、like、will. That. That's will. Because if you yeah, yeah, yeah. your heart towards a further, larger goal and aspiration、mm. yes. in the future, yeah, yes, that's your zhi. But if you、okay. incline it right, it's the so the heart, the inclin. Okay, help me out. See what you think about this, because it's so tricky. The e and the zhi. They kind of work together. Yeah. So if you think about the e as, you know, the sound, the the the, the e is sort of receiving outside information, whereas the j is where it goes. One is receiving, and the other one is direct. Oh, not necessarily. Because, no. Okay. No. Nice try.、Huh? No. <laughs> no, because if you read the Neijing, you would not get that sense. They are using yi and zhi quite interchangeably in a lot of places, <sighs> which which is so frustrating because it defies our modern tendency of one to, especially as a outsider or non-native speaker, want to have like a good grasp and something to hold on to is a very good first step. 
But once you get into the real passages, you will see that uh, they don't really care for that kind of differentiation. <laughs> Back in the Han Dynasty, yeah, they don't. Yeah, they would just use yeah. it. They would say "yi shu bing ren." You can always say "zhi shu bing ren." It's very similar because "yi shu." So the Neijing uses "yi" in many different ways that are similar. Oh no, I should say this: the in in certain yeah. circumstances. Zhi is used exactly like yi. In certain circumstances, exactly used like that. You you move your attention towards an object or a person. You can say yi shu bing ren. That's a real phrase in the Neijing. Or you you can say ling zhi zai zhen. Or you can say ling yi zai zhen. It's the same. They're interchangeable in those contexts. So, if we're trying to differentiate them with that kind of a uh, surgical knifey kind of precision, it's not gonna work. It's gonna drive people crazy. <laughs> I think ultimately you're you're correct, and I think that's the that's the trick as a careful translator is. Yes. Yes, there is a very, very subtle difference between them, but if you get too deep into it, you're just going to turn normal people off, and it really detracts from the message of the text because yes. it's really irrelevant, and it can cause you the translator mental health problems. <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm not kidding <laughs> because you can get because this. The, yeah. So there has been historically a warning against that. Because historically, we have people who have gone into this extreme、uh, ways of analyzing and categorizing,、yes. and then they became crazy. Okay, so this goes back to the the. I want to bring this conversation back to this question of cultivation,、mm -hmm. because the same thing is true in medicine, right? When you yes. Overdo the the analytical this which what we talked、mm -hmm. about in the in the podcast with Brenda Hood this this ability to analyze by slicing and dicing and really differentiating to the most subtle tiniest level the yin within the yang within the yin blah blah、yes. blah what's the difference between e and zhi what's the difference between I don't know um. These different kinds of masses, gatherings, and and aggregations,、yes. and you know, jiju or whatever, or these、mm -hmm. different kinds of swellings, or and sometimes they're just they're just used interchangeably. Yes. So yeah. So there is the brainy side, and then there is the other side to mastering, and that's what you're talking about. There's the、When、wisdom. You, I would say the wisdom side. When to stop. When to、wisdom. say the wisdom because it has to say for the practicality of life because medicine is ultimately a pragmatic art. It's about the living, not the theoretical. All the theories have will have no use when somebody is dying of yeah. something. Yeah, so yeah. there has to be a point where we say、uh, this is enough. This analysis. Is getting us diminishing return. The more we do it further, we're going、yes. to get very little return 
practical. And it, it, distra- it detracts, right? It yes. becomes, that's what I sometimes see when I, when I read these really complicated analyses of formulas and yes. you're, you're, you're looking at a patient and there's actually very, very little information on the patient in some of these cases that people discuss on Facebook. And then they're, they're, they're tearing into each other about, I would use this formula and I would mm-hmm. use this formula. And it gets really, really theoretical. Yes. And I feel like there's a piece of the medicine that's yes. being lost when I think about your virtuosity in, in clinic. Yes. So, so I want to pause there and say, this is not just something that plagued modern Facebook discussions. Yes. Yeah. This thing is very much alive from the Song Dynasty onwards, through the Ming and yeah. to the Qing between yeah. the physicians. Because not every physician can stop themselves from overanalyzing. There were armchair clinicians as well in the past. So, so that's what I want let everybody yeah. to know that we have to be careful about romanticizing yes. pre-modern China. And the practitioners. Yes, they are amazing. They are incredible knowledge, but they're also charlatans and, yeah. and people who wrote things up just to become famous or satisfies yeah. certain things that has nothing to do with clinical efficacy. I, I love how you just put it the armchair clinicians. Yeah. We, because the we, same thing is true for the translators or for any other skill. The armchair people that just that that are really good at at Picking something apart. Mm-hmm. And, and Huang Huang, Professor Huang Huang warned about that. And I think he has a amazing, like accurate sort of a s- analogy for it, a metaphor for it. He yeah. says, Chinese medicine has a lot of black holes. Black mm-hmm. holes. And be very, very careful because if you get trapped in it and you you can spend mm-hmm. a whole lifetime in the black hole and the, at the end of your career and your life you look back and you haven't actually gotten anywhere because you spend too much time theorizing about something rather than testing things out in in real life with your patient and your, your own clinic yeah so that's professor huang huang's warning i i really love him for that because very few people would say it and I appreciated when I heard him at the Rotenburg Congress many years ago, and and the poor man had a translator with him, and it was like it was so slow. It was like oh, it was the whole process, the whole lecture. It was painful, but I really loved how he his approach to, and I think that's why probably why he's so popular and such a great lecturer, is because the way he was explaining these formulas and these formula families it was like he was introducing you to friends mm-hmm. and it was really um he was introducing westerners to a way of thinking about formulas making friends with formulas yeah. in a in a in a gut sense is like mm-hmm. this is how you're going to figure out whether somebody is this type of a person in this category, and he was telling us little stories about the people. This is what you know. This kind of a presentation will look like. Exactly, and and I would like to say that using the wisdom or the framework from Buddhist uh, framework is mm-hmm. not a 
ineffable gut sense is based on data as well. But data that usually got dismissed by the more theoretical inclination of certain training systems. For example, let me, f- I, I'm not talking about his system, but I'm talking about my own experience and system. How do you diagnose somebody with damp heat? How? You go through the tongues, right? You go to the pulse, yeah. slippery pulse, yeah. coding, and da 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 da. I don't have to. I just need to walk into the same room yeah. with the person. And if you can feel a swamp walking towards you, damn heat. End yeah. of story. That's some of the yeah. things that my, one of my teachers taught us. <laughs> right? Yeah. If you want yeah. to know, uh, like, uh, oh, is this person having a yang syndrome or a yin syndrome? His famous joke was, all I need to do, because I have a, he said, I have a waiting room, right? a huge waiting room. I just go out to the waiting room and if I can hear the patient before I even enter the room, young access, end of story. But if I get into the room mm-hmm. and I couldn't see anybody, I have to ask and search for the person, yin problems. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? And for example, myself, because my clinic was on the second floor, just by listening to how the person walk up the stairs, I already have half the picture. All right, so this takes are, us back to diagnosis. Yes, but these are not yeah. the things that you will read in books. These are not the yeah. ones, things yeah. that got, got... So when we say, oh, these doctors are miraculous, they can do the blah, 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 blah. No, they just pay attention to either the sight, what they can see with their yeah. eyes, what they can hear with their ears, yeah. what can they can taste, and what they can smell. And they yeah. gather these diagnostic picture that usually people ignore. Then you can cut to the chase. Damn heat. The swamp is walking. So, for example, if I, yeah. if I leave the room and I come back to the room, the cold presentation patient will suck the heat out of the room. You walk into a cool room as if it's air conditioned. <laughs> right? Yeah. If you have a, somebody who has dry heat, you walk into the room, it feels like you walk into a desert. What else do you need to know? Is right there. Sometimes things are so simple. What is not simple is all the intellectualizing and all the book knowledge. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, here are a couple of suggestions for learning more. First, remember to subscribe to my newsletter at happygoatproductions.com slash connect to stay in touch. I do strive to offer a healthy balance of free and paid information. Also, if you liked this episode, please rate, review, and share our podcast with your community and join the conversation on our Pebble in a Cosmic Pond Facebook group, where you can also suggest new topics. 
And then if you just can't wait until the next new moon for the next episode to drop, why don't you check out my Imperial Tutor mentorship to listen to the exclusive Imperial Tutorial follow-up episodes that drop every full moon? Every month, you also receive a cultural and historical introduction to the month and three translations of a classical, a medieval, and a surprise source spaced a week apart and usually related to the podcast theme. And you get to join our live Tea Time Talks every month. Find out more at happygoodproductions.com slash imperial tutor. In this month's follow-up episode titled Jiggling the Jing, Leo and I looked more deeply at the dangers and limitations of an overly analytical and intellectual approach. And then by contrast, at real mastery, both in ancient China and in contemporary practice. And now, go out there and spread some positive vibrations between heaven and earth. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>